Make rejection your best friend. When you worry about the process, the proceeds will come. Here's what I've learned. The best of the best have got the problem. Watch your goals for the next six months. Matt LaHood is one of the partners at McGrath. He's also the guy that coaches and leads more million dollar agents than anyone I know in Australia and New Zealand. We're about to go backstage and learn what he does, how he does it, and the tactics that you need to do to 2X your income. This guy's got that helicopter view of what it is to be a million dollar agent. Matt LaHood, Head of Sales at McGrath, how are you? Great, Tom, good to see you. Mate, it is great to see you. Uh, you've got, like to me, Matty, I've known you for 20 years onwards and I've got to tell you, there's very few people I know that have got on a day-to-day basis overseeing what it is that 1 million GCI riders write. And I want to thank you in advance. This is a free interview, but the value that you're giving, I think, is hundreds of thousands of dollars because some of the templates, forms, and systems you talk about, um, uh, agents that are going to get those can 2x their income. Um, Matt, you're one of the owners of McGrath. Yep. Um, you've been a, an amazing agent prior to becoming head of sales and an owner of McGrath. Uh, Matt, over the next 40 minutes or so, I want you to, to give me a brain dump of what does Matt LaHood see successful agents? Like, straight away, when I say to you, Matt, what are three qualities you see of top agents? Sure, you see Tom. it all. You've got the best view. <laughs> I certainly, um, no, look, I'm very lucky, I say, to um, to have the role I have because it has enabled me to, to see what some of the best people do in Australia and also share what they're doing amongst teams. I think that's a bit of an unfair advantage for a start. But um, if you said to me what are the top three, and, and there are a few more than three, but I'll try and sort of isolate it to three. I think the first one, the first quality I notice is the ability of the top agents to accept no as just another it's just another way of moving forward so right. not missing a listing as being you know the be all and end all or you know, that stops their world moving forward they just get on with it so being able to handle rejection i would say if we we're categorizing it and that's a mental position to train yourself to be so so so, so matt from your experience, are you born to handle rejection, or can you learn handling rejection? No, you can hand, you can learn to handle it. Right. It, it is it is training your mind. At uh, it's about putting, um, I suppose, attaching the outcome, not being married to the outcome. That's one of my favourite words. You know, right. sort of not being. I tell my team, don't be married to the outcome. If you're not married to the outcome, whether the buyer buys or the seller lists with you, or you know you miss a listing, if you're not married to the outcome. So be detached from the outcome. Correct. But be married to the process. Correct. The process being absolutely being joined to the hip of the process, and we'll talk about process later, because uh, that's that actually forms one of the other qualities of the top three is actually sticking to the process. So, you're, so, so Matty, you're saying it's very clear to you, the good ones, um, cope with no's, rejection, um, and there's a great saying, make rejection your best friend. Yep. Um, uh, another quality? They don't have a fear of rejection. That'd be so. Yeah. Oh, okay. The second quality would be um, they just they just do they do the things that other people don't want to do. So they make the phone calls. They make that that crucial phone call that 
agents don't want to make to see whether they got the listing or they didn't. They make that phone call to see whether the buyer's still interested or they're not. They make that phone call to tell the vendor that they've got bad news rather than just all the good news. This is what separates, in my view, the top agents from the rest of the pack. Okay, so you're saying that two agents, one that's good, next to him, one that's not good, the one that's good feels uncomfortable about something but does it anyway, the one that's not good feels uncomfortable and doesn't do those things. Correct. And that's what causes an owner or a buyer to think that someone's holding back on something because they're not being absolutely transparent with the process. So um, my view is, Tom, I, I, I like to train my team to be like a doctor. I think they need to be like a surgeon doctor. You know, you go to a doctor and you've got a problem, the doctor doesn't shy away from telling you what the problem is. You know, they diagnose and then they prescribe. Yeah. So I've trained our team to think like you need to think like a doctor. The patient being the owner or the buyer is coming to you for advice. Are you going to tell them what they really need to do to fix the problem? Well, this, this, or this not? Is, this is, Matty, this is, I want to focus on this point because as, as this video is being filmed right now in the marketplace, some owners are not hearing what they need to hear. Yeah. You, you, you've seen cycles. You've seen when the market puts deals together. You've seen it when the market punishes agents. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Right now, we're going through a bit of a transition period. So, Tom, I, I, I remember back in 89, I started in 87, but in 89, um, we went through a period with a boom in 88, 89. We were selling properties, and laugh if you will, but showing my age now. Um, two bedroom units for 175,000 we were selling in 88, 1988. I grew up sort of around the Coogee area, Ramwick Market, that was my market. And um, we sold them a year later for 85,000, half. Wow. Yep, so the market dropped 50%. Now, if you look at that as a percentage over that small amount, the bigger homes were doing that as well. So I've seen that cycle. I remember the pain on those owners' faces. I remember the pain on the buyers paying 18% interest. If you can remember back to those yeah, days, eighteen yeah. percent. So when somebody says to me, um, "I remember doing an, I remember doing opens back in '89, where we were doing eight or ten opens on a Saturday, and I didn't see a buyer, right? Not a buyer." So when my team come to me today and they go, oh, "You know, we've got a sixty percent clearance down from '85," I'm like looking at them, going, "It's a boom." So it's all about the mindset. Yeah, I learnt how to first. We weren't allowed to take buyers out and show them properties back in 89 if they didn't have their finance approved because you're wasting your time and then the finance was 18% interest and um, we were selling properties for 50% less than what they were and everyone was on the market. There were sign, but I can remember driving down one street in my area and half of the street had a sign board up and the other half were probably for sale but this didn't have a sign board up because the interest rates at 18%. So it's all about mindset, see? From where I've come from to yeah. a market coming back a bit this is still paradise. You got you can do an open on Saturday. You, you've done auctions on the weekend. Yeah. How many? Well, how many buyers did you see? Uh, I did. Well, I sold seven out of ten. That, that's insane. And, um, there was that's you know, a boom. One or two registered at yeah. most auctions. And what you're, Maddie, what you're saying is that if you have proper perspective, you think that the marketplace is um, a good marketplace Absolutely to list real estate. If you're if you're getting buyers through a property, yeah. If you're getting buyers through, you've got something to work with. I, I remember doing opens for months, six months in that 89 period where I didn't see a single buyer and people were neighbours coming through. 
Um, but we were, we were, we, I was literally told um, by my then boss, grab some reading material and some books and some newspapers. You're not going to be talking to any buyers. What, like, like Matty LaHood, if the, the, the viewers watching this right now, if they were working under you, what, what are the things that you'd be telling them that they've got to bulletproof themselves um, for the next six, 12 months in this market? Okay, one of my famous things, um, you know, John and I speak about this often with the group, there's two marketplaces, Tom, right? Yeah. There's one between your ears, yeah. so that one we can control. Yeah. And there's that one out there in the beautiful world, we're never going to control that, you yeah. know? We've just seen a terrible thing happen in Paris, you know? Uh, we've just we've seen interest rates go up a bit. We've seen clearance rates drop. We're never going to control that. So the big thing is, don't marry yourself, as we said, to that outcome. So yeah. that marketplace, we're never going to control it. In here, between the two ears, we're controlling that one. So yeah. what you do is you control the controllables. Am I making the phone calls? Am I turning up at as 100% Tom Panos, the best version of Tom Panos possible? Am I presenting well? Do I look good? Would I list with myself? Would I list with myself? Would I list with myself? What's my open home like? Is it world's best? Do I have candles out? Do I have music on? And do I introduce myself? Do I give a damn about the buyers? What's my vendor management like? Am I actually, would, would I sell through me? What's my listing presentation like? Do I know every sale in the area? Do I know the average sale price per square meter? Do I know everything about the property? Do I know all the comparables? What's my buyer management like? Do my buyers hearing from me every day? Okay, like, so, am, I, am I married to those so, buyers? So, so viewers, as, as Matt's going off, he's gone through about 10 KPIs, and every one of those KPIs has one thing in common, and that is you can do something about it right now. Right now. That's got no relevance to what's happening out there, correct? 100%. And so, it's, Matt, isn't it interesting how it appears that we're addicted to the uncontrollables? <laughs> When great way the, of putting it. Tom. When the reality is yeah. that having an addiction to it changes nothing because the way you feel about the uncontrollables don't change the uncontrollables. Absolutely. So we look for the excuses. It's easy to say, oh, the markets, something happened out there last week, and that's why I did. It's not easy to say I didn't make those calls, Tom. I didn't have... See, um, I can guarantee you if one of my agent's properties is off track, they haven't done three face-to-face meetings through the campaign. Right. They haven't had the reserve meeting on time. They haven't given quality information to that owner. See, what's happened in the last six to 12 months, I've seen it in our own group, and I've seen it in my competitors, complacency stepped in. Right. Because we've, we've had buyers throwing checkbooks at us, you know, literally. For a year or yeah. two. So you forget what it took to get you where you are today, what you did to get to where you are, which was those strong vendor management, was not missing an appointment. You become complacent because you think if you've got five or six buyers, I don't need to have that well, vendor. There's meeting. a great saying, Maddie: nothing breeds failure like success. Yeah. Maddie, off camera, you said to me before that you studied your 14 and year 15 performers, and you saw, which is contrary to what we've always been told. We always hear that you grow your market share when the market's down, but you said that you actually saw some agents grow their market share when the market's yep. hot. Have you been able to work out why? I have, Tom. Um, I think complacency was growing in from a lot of agents um, in that 14, 15 where the checkbooks were being thrown at us. Um, but what the real top agents did is they over-serviced the buyers and they over-serviced their owners in that marketplace. So they treated it like a non-boom market? Correct, correct. And they got a buyer following because buyers were getting buyer you know, um, neglect, if you like to call it where agents were just saying, look, you know, we've got 15 buyers, we don't need your offer sort of thing. Not, not Hopefully not as rude as that in the market, but that was what the buyers were feeling. 
buyer remorse and buyer neglect. Um, so um, some of these, some of our top agents, what they did is they took the buyers through their, uh, by the hand through that boom and helped them find off-market properties. When they were underbidders, they chased them through. They built market share in a boom, which I haven't seen for a long time. Because usually in a boom, as we know, um, owners can sell the properties themselves. They don't Correct. need the agents. Correct. Right? Um, and you know, there's plenty of buyers and the buyers feel like they're being neglected. Well, my seniors and the ones that, I, I've, that, that will put themselves in the best stead for the next two to three years, really looked after their vendors in that period and looked after their buyers, and they're going to be their buyers now will be their sellers for the next three to five years. Okay, Maddie, without um, any question, the number one thing I'm asked by people in my community, real estate gym and tompanos.com.au, is I want more listings. And when you take the step back, it's I want to get into more doors. When a young agent starts with you, what are the things that Matt LaHood drills down to help that person get a prospecting plan? Okay, so um, there's anywhere between a six to eight points time I've shared a document with you there before. Yeah, so we've got the, we've got the document for um, the members okay. to look at. So the market's changed dramatically in the last 25 years. What I was trained to do 25 years ago and what I would train to do now are completely different, not even the same race. Because we've had things like used to be able to use the phone, now there's a do not call register. We used to have the white pages. You could, you could go through that. You used to um, do a lot of things, you know, by door knocking and that's now culturally not really acceptable um, people you know have got nannies opening doors in some of the more salubrious areas you can't even get in um, male people throw out their nannies and and housekeepers and if they're doing if they open their own letter boxes in some of the more salubrious areas they'll have a sulo bin between their front door and their letterbox you won't even get in to the right. house right so that's years ago that's how we used to do it years ago now and, you know, I always use this as an example. Do you remember, just to show you how the market shifted, is you remember the um, the answering machine for the telephone? Yeah. So do you remember, Tom, when it was invented, like, 25 years ago, what the reason was why they invented it? Remember 25 years ago when it first came in, you wanted to not miss a call? Do you Correct. remember that? Correct. You'd get home. Do you remember the little red light? Yeah. You said, yeah. yeah. who yeah. rang yeah. me, yeah. who yeah. rang me? Now, same machine, 25 years on, you still got one? No. Okay, you don't have one. Most people don't. Some people do. If you ask them what they do use it for, what do they do use it for? To screen calls. Screen calls. Same product, 25 years later, different use. So, so the market shifted, so, right? So, so what you're saying, uh, Maddie, is that you can't expect to do exactly the activities you were doing in 1980, in 2015, Absolutely. 16. You must change. You've okay, got to so change. The market's changing dramatically. So I would say now from a prospect, it's all about community now. Community. Community's one, top of the tree, right? Are you in my community and how well known in, in so your So not community? in the fringes of the community, in the community. In the community. Like right. what are you doing to give back is the right. first thing. Second thing is who does Tom Panos and Matt LaHood know? So Tom, if you, if, I, if you were starting with me as an agent, I'd say, Tom, write down every single person you know, go and visit them and tell them you're now in real estate, you're now working for X, Y, Z Like these are people that, are, that you went to school and uni Everybody. with? Everybody. These are people that you've met through sport? One of my biggest source of businesses over the last 25 years, and it's diminishing now because it's not as regular as my hairdresser, um, unfortunately, I wish I could grow more so I can see you more often. There's always a listing there. But jokes aside, um, something simple like that 
is a hairdresser. Now, Tom, I went and bought... I flew into the Gold Coast last week and I, I got talking to um, one of the guys that's up in one of the cafes there near my office. Now, he sort of knows what I do, but he doesn't really know where I'm from. And he said, oh, he come up to me and he goes, Matt, my friend's going to be selling a property, an apartment up here. Um, can, you, can you handle it for me? Can I handle it? I'm in Sydney sitting in a cafe in Broad Beach, but I just connected with the guy. And I've, I've been a bit of banter. I've been going up there for five years every week. Um, and he just knew real estate and he knew me and there's a listing. So, so I'm just so, so. wondering, for the you know millions of followers you've got, Tom, watching your um, videos, effectively, who's actually thinking there's business in their cafe, their hairdresser, the mechanic that services their car, uh, the school, the so parents? You, so, so what you're saying is... Don't be a closet agent. Be someone that makes it known Correct. what you do. Correct. And you've got, you must build a referral business. It's all about referral and repeat business. I'll give you a quick example why you build a referral business. Tom, if you had a little baby and you were looking for a babysitter yeah. um, and someone dropped something in your letterbox and said, hey, Tom, um, Sorry, just dropped something in your letterbox and said, babysitter, call. Yeah, they're not on my shopping they're list. They're not on your shopping list. No. But if, what would you do if you wanted a babysitter? You'd ring and your friends and your, who do you know a good babysitter? People that I trust, I'd ask their view. So let me give you a, a complete, direct um, an, analysing of, say, selling someone's biggest asset. We're trying to get our services picked up through a letterbox to sell someone's biggest asset. And you just said a babysitter, you wouldn't, you'd go and get a referral. So why would you give your biggest asset to someone out of a letterbox? So there's the parallel for you, right? No, okay, well, that's, go that's gold, because what you're saying is that a letterbox drop will not influence you anywhere near what someone that you trust will influence In you. In your community, correct. So how recommendable are you is a really good thing to be asking yourself. How recommendable? Do, what do people say about you when you're not there? Absolutely. So... Um, yeah, hundred. That, that's exactly right. So, would I list with myself? Would that's I list with question. myself now? So, Maddie, you. So you've so far you've gone and you've talked about um, um, centers of influence. Centers of influence. Yep. Or connectors. Correct. Right. Community. Community. Next thing I'm going to talk about, Tom. Who are the most influential pillars in in the community? And you better know them, and you better get to know them fast, and you better look at building your business around them. So, examples. Lawyers. Accountants, solicitors, valuers, other real estate agents. So, you, I'll give you, you an in, in the time that you sold, and you were a million dollar agent, you used uh, community uh, master groups, or I don't know, know what the term you you use, but you used to catch up business network group every a month. Business network group yeah, did every it for month. fifteen years. Seeing that group was accountant, a lawyer, a bank manager, a solicitor, a valuer, an architect, a developer, a strata manager, and a property manager. And we built a group, we called it the Ramwick Business Group. We met every month, once a month for one hour. And we met at a cafe and we kept it to an agenda. And we built, because everybody I knew knew about five, had, had about 500 clients. So there's about 10 or so in my group. So there, I had access immediately to 5,000 people in my community through the tentacles of these people who would only refer to each other because we trusted each other, we knew each other, who, and we who, liked who, each other. Who, who drove setting that up? Me, I saw it, I built it from scratch. You built it from yep. scratch? You were like you, you were the architect of getting all these people together. Correct. And what was your typical agenda? You'd sit down and talk about what? Everyone had five minutes on their industry. So right. we all went around the table. You had to tell me what was happening in your industry. So the bank manager would say, well, it looks like we've got a lot of investors in the market at the moment. 
uh, the strata manager had come and tell us about new laws that have changed. The bank, uh, the uh, lawyers would tell us about, you know, any implications that were on uh, any conveyancing laws that had changed. I'd talk about the market, what was happening, clearances were up, clearances were down, that sort of thing. So we built that group. What we did, we did a lot of good out of it, Tom. We actually did some fundraising. Um, and when I'd go to a listing presentation, I'd actually say, look, I've just been at a Ramwick business group meeting. So it's very powerful. The owners would say, what's that? I'd say a group of like-minded people would get together every month and I'd actually start using their names and they'd go, actually, that's my solicitor because I had the prominent people wow. in the area. And I'd then be able to say, well, look, why don't you give your solicitor? And they'd go, actually, that's my accountant. This is what used to happen to me, Tom. So I would, the people that were dropping letters and following those owners for years and I, I'd just met them and um, all of a sudden their accountants... So, you're, so, so Matty, you're saying, you're saying drive and set up uh, a network group Absolutely. of other professionals. Absolutely, urgently. Um, urgently. Today. Um, connectors, community, yep. other things, Matty? Okay, other things. So success marketing is a big one. What, what's, um, so what's, what, what's, what's success marketing? Okay, so you've got to let everybody know in your community that a sales occurred around their property for a certain value because... I've actually had over the years a lot of people come uh, that, that, that I've done success marketing. I mean, you could call them commonly a just sold. Yeah. Okay. So a just sold tells the community again, it's, it's a call to action to the community. A house has been sold in your neighbourhood for a certain price. So if I'm sitting in my home time and I'm thinking of moving to Queensland, I'm living in Sydney, and I'm thinking, I wonder how much my house is worth. I get something that prompts a change in behaviour. I didn't think it was worth that much. I'm going to call Tom Panos which happens. All the viewers watching you would say that that has happened. Someone in the street, how many times, Tom, have you auctioned a property in the street, sold it, yeah. and three months later, three weeks later, two weeks later, up goes another sign. Very common. That's driven by the result of that one, 90% of the time, unless it's complete coincidence, but it's normally driven by the result. Heaps of learning there, but as I say, Ideas without execution are delusions. It's what you do after the video that really matters.